you ready? Ready to dig in? So today I want to talk about finding hope in good and difficult times. What we focus on will make all the difference. But before that, I had a lot of things that caught my attention this week that forced me to pause and ponder. So there's some deep and not as deep things. So I'm, my prayer is that at least one of them will hit you and go, yeah, okay, maybe it'll make me pause and ponder too, okay? Doesn't mean I agree with every single sentence. It means this one made me pause and ponder. That way I can't get in trouble for posting it. <laughs> All right. Being biblical is worthless if we aren't being Christ-like. To be Christ-like is to love your neighbor as yourself. To be biblical is to quote verses that align with our personal agendas and contextualize scripture according to our own opinions. Too many Christians are being biblical without being Christ-like. And I think the reason this one hit me hard is because we do that without realizing it. We think being biblical is Christ-like when it's not. Being biblical is mean you're being paper-like, not Christ-like. There's a big difference. You can be Christ-like and, and use scripture, but unfortunately, many people use the scriptures to uh, do sword drills and fight and argue and all raise you, 2 Corinthians Blah, 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 for your Timothy 3. Yeah, well, I got Psalm 22 and Habakkuk 5. Well, I got Exodus this and this. And, and these, the dumb arguing of trying to be more right than the other person. When those conversations begin, you have ceased to be loving. Both sides. And I've been in those discussions and hate admitting it. And now I see when you engage in those conversations of division, when... The attitude is not seek to understand, seek to be understood. You're trying to win a war or a battle or an argument. There is no winning for that kind of stuff. That one hit me. I love that. We talked about woke a couple of times, and this reminded me. I want to talk about it again, because people are still talking about being woke, and uh, I think it's, the definition is really skewed, and I love this definition for being woke, okay? Meaning woken up, awake. Woke means awakened to the needs of others, to be well-informed, thoughtful, compassionate, humble, and kind, eager to make the world a better place for all people. Be woke. I can go with this definition. The other ones, not so much. Richard Rohr, oh my goodness. We've been talking about love in the last three weeks. Uh, even though we're switching topics, but this was really good. If love is the soul of Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example, justice without love is legalism. Faith without love is ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is mere duty. Fidelity without love is servitude. Every virtue is an expression of love. No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. And the Greek word love I'm referring to is agape, who refers to the Trinity, the essence and DNA of who God is. This is a great prayer. 
Keep my anger from becoming meaningless. Keep my sorrow from collapsing into self-pity. Keep my heart soft enough to keep breaking. Keep my anger towards, uh, turned towards justice, not cruelty. Remind me that all of this, every bit of it is for love and keep me fiercely kind. That's a really good prayer. Somebody who was going through something brutal this week posted that and it's like, okay, that, that was really neat. Healing doesn't mean the damage never existed. It means the damage no longer controls your life. Healing also doesn't mean you forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. Same kind of concept. It just doesn't control your life anymore. That pain less and less is triggered into, towards negativity and you get to move forward. Michael J. Fox and if you don't think you have anything to be grateful for, keep looking. Because you don't just receive optimism. You can't wait for things to be great and then be grateful for that. You've got to behave in a way that promotes that. Thinking ahead, looking for it, intentionally looking for things to be grateful for. All you gotta do is look backwards. All we need to do is stop. And be grateful for so many things, and it'll humble you quick. Rachel Held Evans writes, The apostles remembered what many modern Christians tend to forget, that what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. <clears throat> I'll leave it at that. I love this. This is really good. In Irish, when you talk about emotion, I can't, I don't have the accent, sorry. You don't say, I am sad. You'd say, sadness is on me. And I love that because there's an implication of not identifying yourself with the emotion fully. I am not sad. It's just that sadness is on me <clears throat> for a while. Something else will be on me another time and that's a good thing to recognize. And this requires introspection. This requires us to be honest with ourselves. The Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. That's how the gospel works. A friend of mine sent this to me yesterday and went, oh, I, I like that. that. If you just begin to think through that, and that's, that's on the other side. Imagine learning to learn that on this side of heaven. I thought it was good. Almost done. Hurt people hurt others. But luckily, healed people heal others. Safe people shelter others. Free spirits free others. Enlightened people illuminate others. And love always wins. So shine your light of love on all who may cross your path in life because what you do matters. It's so easy to focus on hurt people hurt because we've heard that line before and you know it, we're trying to understand okay how they're doing and not judge them. But let's flip the table a minute. Are we healed? Are we full of life and light and love? Yes. Well, let's, let's be that then. Let's quit looking at those things that are negative and begin to shift our focus to what is already true in us, which we've been doing here at Hope Fellowship for years. 
I got a couple of Mr. Rogers things here. <clears throat> How many watched Mr. Rogers growing up? Yeah, I used to run home from lunch, uh, like from school at lunchtime, just so I can watch the last bit of it because the age I was at at the time. But yeah, I, I loved watching Mr. Rogers. When I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate, peace that rises triumphant over war, and justice that proves more powerful than greed. Because he always started the show with that song, I like you, and however that song goes. But here's a minister who never mentioned Jesus once on national TV and emulated the love of the Trinity better than most preachers did in the time. <laughs> wow. Here's another one. Love isn't a state of perfect caring. It's an active noun-like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here and now. He modeled that really well too. And lastly, love is at the root of everything. All learning, all parenting, all relationships. Love or lack of it. I hope that forces you to stop and ponder. I came across um, a letter that um, Fred Rogers received from Henry Nouwen. We read a lot of the Henry Nouwen devotionals and share them. I love his stuff, his style. I like his content. But did you know Mr. Rogers had a bad day too? <laughs> we have bad days. And in the role of clergy, roles, minister, or job roles, wherever you are, you're going to get criticized uh, if you're in any kind of leadership role, and it's difficult. But here, this beautiful letter was written from Henry Nouwen to Fred Rogers. It concerns a critical article about Mr. Rogers that had, discour that had discouraged him. This is a public uh, article written um, in the newspapers. Every leader needs such friends as Nouwen demonstrates here. He writes, Dear Fred, I've just returned from Europe where I received permission from my bishop to stay at La Arche. I am now back here hoping to settle more definitely and find a new rhythm of life that is a little more livable than what I have had in the past. I read the article you sent me and can very well understand how much that must have hurt you. It must be really painful to be confronted with a total misunderstanding of your mission and your spiritual intentions. It is these little persecutions within the church that hurt the most. I simply hope that you are not too surprised by them. They come and will keep coming, precisely when you do something significant for the kingdom. It has always struck me that the real pain comes often from the people from whom we expected real support. It was Jesus' experience and the experience of all the great visionaries in the church, and it continues to be the experience of many who are committed to Jesus. I don't think it makes much sense to argue with the writer of this article. 
He speaks from a very different plane and will not be open to your explanations. Some of the criticisms we simply have to suffer and see as invitations to enter deeper into the heart of Jesus. I won't send you some of the reviews I get of my books, but some are not very different from the tone of this piece. So I certainly feel a unique solidarity with you. Let us pray for each other that we remain faithful and not become bitter and that we continue to return to the center where we can find the joy and peace that is not of this world. Thanks so much for staying in touch with me. Much love, Henry Nowen. That's the two of them together. We get hurt. We get beat up by life. We get burned by people closest to us, blindsided by, often by the ones we thought we could trust the most. It happens. I like that one part of the prayer, keep me soft enough to stay broken or be broken, rather than getting so hard that nobody could ever get through again. We're created for relationships. Relationships take risks. But when I read that article or that letter, <laughs> I resonated with it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, being a pastor, kind of, you get you get everybody's opinions, even when you don't ask for them. It's weird. <laughs> but it made me think there are times when things are difficult. Finding hope in good and difficult times. We've been talking a lot about finding hope in difficult times, especially during COVID. Over the three years, there was a lot of themes of finding hope and encouragement when things seem really heavy and dark. But what about good times too? I think it's really important. Maybe it's not so much about learning new teaching as it is understanding and applying what we have already been taught. What if we celebrated the value of being reminded instead of trying to learn new things? This is where we may find hope when things are not going well, as well as when things are going well. If we open our eyes to see, we will be stunned at the overflowing grace that has already been communicated to us. We will see it in the hurting, the outcast, those with less, those who, have, those who have lost, those who have forgiven much, and in those who grieve. We may even see it in the words on pages of sacred texts. I don't know how many times I've had somebody come visit Hope Fellowship or something, and they want to learn something new. They go, oh, I've heard that before. I'm, I'm well past that. That's a comment I hear a lot. Say, okay, I didn't know you arrived. <laughs> you know, that's why my program on Wednesdays is called Still Growing in Grace, because we're all still growing. And maybe we don't need new teaching. And by the way, none of it's new. Did you know that? None of the teaching you hear right this morning around the world, every church service you, that you're at or can hear that's being broadcast or shared in private and no broadcast at all, nothing is new. It may be new to you, because you've never heard that before, but none of it is new. And that's humbling. That's a good reminder to be thankful for what, we, for what we do have and what we have learned. To be thankful for a heritage. 
to be thankful for the, um, the teaching you had as a child from great intentioned loving people. The theology may not have been what you believe now, but that just means you've kept growing. Hopefully they have too. We need not be mad at them, which I was for a long time. I'm still mad at the messaging that keeps people suppressed from hearing good news. That's when I get mad. When I hear people believe and you gotta follow the rules, that God's angry, no, no, I get angry. No, 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 don't you dare represent, misrepresent my father. Then I get upset. But if people take it personally, last week we had a one slide that when we talk against the system, they identify so much with that system, they take it personal offense that I'm speaking of them. Well, I'm not. I'm speaking of the system. It's really important. So, what do we do then? How are we to get through this? I think Zechariah says something incredible. I know, Old Testament, eh? <laughs> Zechariah 4, 6 states it perfectly. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit or breath, says the Lord of hosts. We've heard this verse before, but there's something rich about the details here. It's not by my mental might, nor by my physical power, but by my consciousness, says the Lord. Sometimes we think we have the emotional energy, we just need to conquer it, stay strong, stay positive, we tell people, I'm fine, I'm trying to stay positive with a grouchy mood, I'm positive. You know, it's hilarious how that can work. You can talk yourself into a spin cycle so quickly. Or, or it, it, you, you have to think, 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 or you have to do the meditation and all that. And so you can put all the work into that mental focus and it's all about you. Huh. Or physically, I'm going to stay distracted and keep busy. I'm going to work hard. And, and physical work is supposed to help with mental health big time. And those things are all true. But the answer lies in the last one. But it's by my spirit. The conscious awareness of Christ in you, guiding your emotions, guiding the mental direction that needs to happen. The Holy Spirit does not need your help to quickly find a book or a list, and if you do get drawn to a list, it's a temporary tutor so you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit's big enough to guide your thinking and big enough to deal with your physical health, which there may be wisdom that comes your way about your physical health, like flatten the curve, things like that. But there is the consciousness of Christ. And sometimes we live outside of that consciousness by ignoring it. But it's still there. That still small voice that's there when we hate ourselves or hate something we've done, feel bad or guilty for hurting somebody unintentionally, even intentionally. There's that still small voice that says, you're still loved. You're still accepted. You are forgiven. What you did is not who you are. It's an expression of doubt and blindness. We need to hear that. Nehemiah, love this. I know, Old Testament, there's there's good news there. There's sprinklings of good news all through the Old Testament. There's some awful news there too that in the light of Christ I think needs to be revisited. But look at this. 
He writes, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn and they paid no attention to your commands. Do we know anybody like that? Do we know any cultures like that? Any countries? Oh my goodness. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. And he's speaking of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, okay? They didn't remember the miracles. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to the slavery in Egypt. I think right there is the key. Remember. I have always thought to myself, boy, they had so many miracles. I would never do that. I would never have forgotten those miracles because, you know, I'm just so much better than they were, right? (laughs) Of course we wouldn't forget, you know, the Red Sea. Like, who can forget something like that? Like, seriously. Or the man every morning. Who could possibly forget really cool miracles? They did. And if you're honest, we forget a lot of miracles in our lives. We forget about the provision of God in our lives, about the people God brought into our lives at just the right time for something we needed at that moment and we never see them again. We forget the encouragement that came. We forget somebody sending a note to you of encouragement. Some people just throw them away and don't, they don't save them. And don't forget the miracles of encouragement that have come. Some of you have even been healed. And we forget that too, but I'm dealing with another problem. So you forget the goodness that has been there. And you turn into a whining blubber of forgetting person and wait, grace is still there. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, really quick to become angry. Oh no, it's a slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and they committed terrible blasphemies. How is this possible? The Old Testament God that we often hear in religious circles as being the angry God, and then this finds its way in to remind us of the goodness of God. And by the way, the goodness of God is pinnacled at Christ. When Christ came, then the fullness of who God is shows up. The full and perfect representation of who the God of the Old Testament is shows up in Jesus and is clarified, confirmed, and corrected. Which means the Old Testament has many incomplete descriptions of who God is. Somebody wants me to say the wrong descriptions. I know, I want to say that too. But I'm not going to. They're incomplete. Because at that point, that's all they had. Why did God let that be written that way? Because he's not a control freak. (laughs) Oh. Even when they made an idol. But God has got a forgiveness, gracious and merciful. This is a Nehemiah. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of clouds still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them (coughs) the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. Do you know how many times they disobeyed and screwed up and forgot? 
And yet, what does God do? Keeps providing. Doesn't use it as a clobber. Well, since you've disbehaved, I'm going to not feed you for a few days and see how you like that. Let's see if I can get you into correction. He didn't do that. Oh, my goodness. If you read, let's say, if you were to speed read the Old Testament sometime, you could do it pretty quick. Some of it's really boring, but you can do it really quick, especially when they get to the begat parts. <laughs> You're going to see a more gracious God than you ever thought. I was stunned a couple years into my first pastoral job as a senior pastor. I did a speed read because somebody suggested it, and my jaw hit the floor. I said, oh my goodness. When you read that quickly, you start to see goodness of God, goodness of God, goodness of God. They screwed up 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 goodness of God. And wow, huh, maybe he is gracious and slow to anger. And he's that way to you and I as well. I love that. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Now that's cool. I'd like to experience that. My goodness. Their clothes never wore out. <coughs> Some people buy worn out clothing with holes and rips, but nope, their clothes, that's a joke, uh, their, but their clothes never wore out. Can you imagine walking in sand with sandals and it would rub, it would wear down leather fast. It didn't. The unspoken miracle. I didn't see much in the scriptures of any thankfulness to God for that, by the way. I've yet to see it. I wish there's a verse somewhere that would say they were thankful for God letting the clothes last forever. It sure saved them a lot of money on clothes, that's for sure. They made, made the clothes. Psalm 136. I know some folks who love traditional hymns um, don't like choruses sometimes because they're so repetitive. They keep repeating, repeating, repeating. Well, listen to some of your own hymns once in a while because the verses you sing in church aren't the whole song because if you saw the whole song, there's like 19 verses of the same stuff. So we don't have to make fun of each other because it's, it, you can, you can poke holes in all that. But this is pretty cool. It's a repetition. Now, I have customized it. I've removed some stuff that I didn't, because otherwise really long, but I kept the good stuff. And I want to share it with you because this is about our minds remembering. I'm not trying to teach you anything new. And I don't want you to go, oh, heard that before. Hurry up and get through this. I want you to hear. And even in your own mind, quietly say, his faithful love endures forever. You don't say it out loud necessarily, but this is deep. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. 
He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. <coughs> Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. We can forget. It's so easy to forget. And when you see them listed like this, as faithful love endures forever, you can tune out by the fourth one easily. Don't. Your soul needs to hear it. Your mind needs to hear it and see it to be reminded because we let everything else in so quickly. We need to be reminded of what matters. His faithful love endures forever, even in your circumstance right now. Psalm 145, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Well, that's Old Testament, and it still refers to the inclusive love of God for all. Psalm 145, you're kind and tenderhearted to those who don't deserve it and very patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. God, everyone sees your goodness, for your tender love is blended into everything you do. That connects to the one meme that love is the essence of everything and has to be connected to everything. I thought that was really a great reminder. Maybe we need to be reminded of who God is and the goodness of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Usually we focus on different parts of this verse, depending on how we want people to get it. So if you're preaching on not worrying, you focus on the first sentence. Stop worrying, people! And you feel bad. Oh, I'm sorry, I worry. Okay, I'll stop worrying. No, that's not what this is about at all. It says, stop, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. The thanking him for all he's done is critical in my mind. That's the wrap-up. And what's the fruit of that prayer? Because you're allowed to tell God what you need. Pray about everything. That means anything goes. Anything goes. And then the benefit is you'll experience God's peace. You already have it. But to experience it, it's a whole new thing. And what this prayer is doing, it's telling you to focus on something other than your problems. That doesn't make the problems go away, but it's going to remind you you're not alone in them. 
God did not promise to deliver us from problems. You know that, right? Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have had to go through what he did. Instead, Jesus prayed, I pray that as you go through this, you'll come out stronger on the other side, however it's worded, that you'll be able to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, however he worded I forget the exact wording. But he didn't say, dear God, prevent Peter from going through this because they'll just hurt him too much. He didn't do that. He said, be with him through it. That when he comes out the other side, he'll be stronger. We're promised he'll never leave us or abandon us, which he provided evidence for for Israel. They were never abandoned, no matter how bad they were, how they rejected, how they built this idol to an unknown or to this calf God. And like that's a complete rejection of God when you do that. Like it's really bad taste when you're dating one person and start worshiping someone else really bluntly. Like it's bad. <laughs> the grace of God was there. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 says, All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. This is the God that lives in you. So if he's the Father of tender mercy, tender mercy lives in you. And so does endless comfort. Sometimes you use it for yourself. Sometimes you use it for others and give it to someone else. But it's in you to give. It's like those blood commercials. Blood, it's in you to give. (laughs) Catchy and really good. But so is love. Tender mercy. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. Do not misunderstand this verse and think it says that God causes the trouble to you because you need to comfort someone else. That's baloney. It does not say that. It doesn't even imply it. But religiosity can suggest that. I've heard well-intentioned Christians say that, and even worse, at funerals. Must have been God's will. He's using it for his glory. Will you stop that garbage? That's the most unloving thing you can say because it represents a false God. Don't you dare misrepresent my heavenly father. He's there, not absent. That's the message of hope. (laughs) We can bring them the same comfort that God has poured upon us. And just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own sufferings, even more of God's comfort will cascade upon us through our union with Christ. I find it interesting that those who've gone through much pain and suffering and loss, rejection and abuse, torment, are usually the ones who give the greatest kindness, compassion, and understanding. Those who've gone through very little pain in life, they're still figuring it out. They're not used to pain and suffering because we're trained to avoid every kind of pain and suffering, including the pain and suffering of others. So we avoid that, and we can't experience somebody else's pain and suffering. There's much to learn here for all of us. Thought so. (laughs) Today, what we focus on will make all the difference. I'm encouraging you and I to focus on Christ in you, the tender mercy in you, 
So when you see someone else, whether they're having a good day or a bad day, you see the light of Christ in them and in you, and you treat them according to their light. But what if their light's darkness? The light's still in them. You speak to them and treat them as the light of God in them. Just because they can't see it. Sometimes heavy pains and trials make it almost impossible to see light in us or others because of the darkness that seems to block it out. But then be the light. Be the encouragement. And don't be corny and religious about it either. Be authentic. Be you. Otherwise, they won't believe you. They'll think you're just playing a religious game and have an ulterior motive. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you let the light of Christ in us, um, first of all, let us be able to see it, and then may we see it in others. Teach us to concentrate and focus on you when things are bad. And when things are good, to not take our eyes off you. <laughs> it's easy to do that when things are going well. May your grace guide us. May your kindness and compassion thrive through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.